Spring is in full bloom. Are your finances? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, you can build credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments, all with no annual fees or interest. With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com slash build. That's Chime.com slash build. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA. Members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. When this week began, President Trump, like so many presidents before him, was scheduled to give a State of the Union address at the end of January. That the state of our union is strong because our people are strong. Now, at the end of this week, the inevitability of that State of the Union address is in question. On Wednesday, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi issued a letter to Trump suggesting that, given security concerns caused by the government shutdown, Trump should postpone his State of the Union address from its scheduled January 29th date. Speaker Nancy Pelosi sending a clear message to President Trump, this is my house. Trump on Thursday then sent a letter of his own to Pelosi, telling her that he was postponing her unannounced trip abroad. Several weeks into the partial government shutdown, now the longest in U.S. history, it's becoming clear that the ripple effects of the political battle between the House Speaker and the President of the United States are wide-ranging and even unexpected. If possibly postponing the State of the Union is one unforeseen side effect of the shutdown, what other consequences might arise as this political stalemate between Pelosi and Trump continues? And what happens when two branches of government, designed with checks and balances in mind, can't find compromise? This is Can He Do That, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of the American presidency. I'm Allison Michaels. Tensions between Pelosi and Trump have been ramping up since she took the speaker's gavel in early January. Her Wednesday letter urging Trump to delay his State of the Union address increased tensions in their political standoff. The letter caused a bit of confusion. It was unclear if Pelosi was rescinding an invitation for Trump to deliver the address or merely suggesting a change. So was the State of the Union canceled? And which branch of government ultimately decides when and where it happens? I asked Washington Post politics reporter Colby Itkowitz to clarify how a State of the Union invitation usually works. To technically have him come speak before a joint session of Congress, she has to file what's known as a concurrent resolution. And it has to be voted on in both houses, and that has not happened yet. So unless she files that, and unless it gets votes in both chambers, he actually can't come and give a joint address. So in this letter, she's sort of hinting that that might not happen, that concurrent resolution? Right, exactly. She's urging him to postpone or reschedule. uh, So that would kind of put the onus on him to pick a new date. But if he insists on January 29th, I think what it sounds like is she's saying, we're not having it on January 29th. We're not having it while the government is shut down. And to be clear, the power in this situation is entirely with her. If she decides that we're not going to have this, he can't say, yes, we are. It's her house. So this takes place in the Capitol building. How much you say this is her house, does that mean that Nancy Pelosi can stop him from giving a State of the Union elsewhere, like out of the Oval Office? No. So she actually said in her letter to him, she suggested he send a written statement or a written State of the Union up to Congress. 
She has subsequently said he could also give a State of the Union on that night from the Oval Office. Now, Republicans are saying, we're just going to have him come up anyway. He can give us a State of the Union. Mm-hmm. And the Senate is also talking about, well, could he give it from uh, from our chamber? Could, which is, you know, wouldn't fit nearly the number of people that normally attend a State of the Union. Typically, every cabinet member but one is there. Every Supreme Court justice is there. Members of Congress and their families. The Senate chamber is much smaller. Mm-hmm. So it would be a completely different event. I see. And has anybody suggested that he tweet out his State of the Union address? <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if that's what he ended up doing. How many tweets would that be? Probably a hundred or well, so? Well, it's uh, 45 <laughs> minutes, usually. 45 minutes to an hour. The longest speech ever was given by Bill Clinton to nobody's surprise. <laughs> um, but also, it's it's important to know that the State of the Union didn't used to be a live, in-person event previously, prior to 1913. They did just send a report up to Congress on the State of the Union. Uh, In 1913, President Woodrow Wilson decided that he wanted to give an address before a joint session of Congress. And ever since then, presidents have been coming up to Capitol Hill to give give joint addresses. Have we ever seen a president forego a State of the Union? So as far as I know, only once. And that was 1986 and the space shuttle, the Challenger. The explosion occurred uh, that morning, the morning that President Ronald Reagan was supposed to give his State of the Union. And so he spoke to the American people and said, you know, we're all in mourning. It is not appropriate for me to come and talk about how great the country is. We'll do it at a later date. And they did do it at a later date. So that was the one instance uh, that I know of where a State of the Union was postponed. I'm not aware of any time where the speaker has said to the president, maybe you shouldn't come. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there's never been, at least Pelosi asserts in her letter to the president, that there's never been a State of the Union given during a shutdown. Right, right. Well, there's also never been a shutdown that's gone on this long. This is just one side effect of what is now the longest government shutdown in U.S. history. At this point, what are some of the real world consequences that we're seeing beyond just a postponed State of the Union potentially? Yeah, because that's small, right? right? Most people's lives aren't going to be impacted because the president's not giving a State of the Union address. But what is actually happening is that people missed a paycheck last Friday. And a lot of people in this country live paycheck to paycheck in order to pay their mortgage or their rent or childcare, their prescription drugs, like all of these things that we have to pay each month. We rely on our paycheck to do so. And so people are soliciting money on GoFundMe. They are selling their belongings. They're taking up side jobs. And one of the real side effects that is the government has a hard enough time as it is getting top talent. A lot of top talent wants to go into the private sector. It pays more. Why would anyone want to work for the federal government now knowing that there's a possibility that you could go weeks, if not months, without getting paid? Mm-hmm. And that is a real consequence. And then also, you know, one of the things that people are focusing on a lot is TSA. Mm-hmm. Air travel has become more encumbered by this because these TSA agents are working without pay. So they're calling in sick. They're saying, like, why would I bother? Like, why would I come in if I'm not getting a paycheck? The Coast Guard is going without pay. Right. These are important agencies. These are important jobs. I mean, the IRS is going without pay. Right. See, what we're seeing also is these effects of the effects. So things like the housing market being affected because people at the IRS can't necessarily file the proper tax documents to help people get their mortgages. Yeah. Are there other sort of secondary There's like, effects? Um, the Securities Exchange Commission mm-hmm. can't work on like banking mergers. Mm-hmm. You know, so Wall Street is a little bit crippled. So there's all these ripple effects of the shutdown that you don't think about when the government first shuts down. And I also, I think... 
there's a ripple there's an effect where people just talk about the government in this kind of broad sense where they say like oh we want less government and they don't think about how the government functions every day actually has real world impact on everyone so at this point we know there's no end in sight for the government shutdown but is there an end in sight for the state of the union address what are the possibilities of how this might end there's a number of things I suppose that could happen. One is that President Trump says okay and picks another date. Probably unlikely. Another option is that Republicans actually do invite him up to Capitol Hill on that night and anyone that wants to come and hear him speak can hear him speak. Another option is that the government reopens and then it's a non-issue. And I guess the final thing would be Pelosi saying like okay if you think we have enough security then let's do it. But Again, I I doubt that's going to happen. So let's talk more about that security point. In her letter to the president, Nancy Pelosi cites security concerns as the reason not to have this joint session in the chamber. She says that it's because of the shutdown that the Secret Service and the Department of Homeland Security are a bit crippled by furloughed employees. Is that a legitimate reason not to have the State of the Union? Is this a political tactic or is what she's suggesting a real concern? So resources are limited. They are stretched really thin. Uh, A lot of people are furloughed or working without pay. However, the Department of Homeland Security and Secret Service have come out and said, we can do it. We've never indicated that we couldn't do it. We definitely have the resources to do it if you want to have the State of the Union on January 29th. The optics of having a State of the Union right now, I would think, are pretty bad Mm -hmm. because we know what the State of the Union is and it's partially closed. But It is a brilliant strategic move on Nancy Pelosi's part. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Nancy Pelosi has been Speaker of the House before, but this is her first time leading the House while Trump is in the Oval Office. Two weeks in, her strategy as a political foe to the president is becoming clear. Well, her general approach has been to not give any ground to any of his demands, to often taunt, bully, mock, really wield the knife on him in a way that has been quite aggressive. That's Washington Post White House correspondent Joshua Dossie. He explains why Pelosi's taken an overall tough stand strategy toward the president. She has likened him to a small toddler having a tantrum. She has called the wall, his premium political demand, a manhood thing for him. She's been really vicious in some of her attacks against him, and her people are kind of proud of that. And you're seeing consistency between her rhetoric, criticizing the president, and her actions opposing some of his desires? Sure. I mean, uh, the president uh, and his team have offered some willingness to compromise and take a smaller amount of money for the wall than the $5.7 billion they've said publicly. Pelosi has not given a dollar. She has said that she will not give a single dollar for the wall and that he should just reopen the government. Part of that calculation is that as a new speaker, she has a restive group of freshman lawmakers who kind of won on their bona fides as progressive and leftist members who 
know that if they gave Trump any money for the wall, that that would be seen by their political base as as capitulation. And I think she's kept her caucus in line by being unwilling to to move a, move a cent for him. So how has Trump been reacting to Nancy Pelosi's approach? Well, really, until Thursday, he had been fairly reticent to criticize her. He had taken a lot of criticisms from her, insults, lots of even mocking names from the Speaker of the House, and had not fired back, which had surprised a number of his aides and allies. He finally threw a fastball back at her and canceled a trip that she had planned uh, to the Middle East on military aircraft to to see troops. Uh, these trips are often called codales. Uh, they're congressional delegations to foreign countries. And he canceled it just as she was heading to get on the plane and said that the money should not be spent for a trip, six-day trip that was canceled. It's pretty unprecedented for a president to do that. But this president often does things that are unprecedented, including canceling a Codell. Uh, just to be clear, how does he have the power to do that? He has the power to do that because these delegation trips often use military aircraft. They use State Department personnel on the ground. They use executive branch personnel to guide them around. And the president can pull the aircraft. He can pull the personnel. He can pull all the support services that are needed. Uh, And as he said, you can fly commercial if you would like, Speaker Pelosi. In other words, the president said, fly commercial into a war zone. Go right ahead, which uh, it's hard to believe she will be doing that. So then is he pulling funding and resources for all other trips to war zones for congressional delegations? That's what the White House is saying, yes, that that CODELs will not happen until the shutdown is over. And whether that is next week or next month or next year, it's unclear right now. So this is a stab at Pelosi, but it also could harm Republicans. Correct. How is this battle between Pelosi and Trump sort of representative of the larger stalemate facing our government right now? Good question. The entrenched forces right now seem to be this. You know, the president has convinced 35, 40 percent of the country that he is right almost no matter what. If he wants a wall, then the wall is needed. Whatever he says goes. There's this famous line, I could shoot a man on Fifth Avenue, and that remains true. If you look at the numbers, his base remains pretty much with him. You have a large swath of the country who thinks Anything the president does is is heresy. They see him as a as a liar, as a fraud, as a as a charlatan, as someone who's totally unqualified for the presidency. But what what this fight really is is about is neither side is really making an argument to attract independent voters or or folks in the middle who may be won over. The fight over the wall is a fight for the president to show his base. I'm fighting for you. The thing I promised on the campaign trail, we're at it. We're we're willing to do whatever it takes. For fight for the Dems is saying, we see this as immoral, as racist. We're not going to give him a single dollar. We promise that if you elected us, we would stop this, among other things. And neither side is moving because there's no incentive to move. So just to zoom out a little bit, this moment in time where we have such an adversarial relationship between the president and the Speaker of the House, it's built into our system to an extent, right? right. Checks and balances. How unique is is this moment in time for, for these two branches of government to be just stuck at a stalemate? Well, we've had shutdowns before, certainly. There's been a number. There were shutdowns on previous presidencies. You know, there's certainly animus between John Boehner and Barack Obama or between Newt Gingrich and Bill Clinton. Uh, you know, the checks and balances, as as you astutely noted, when they're opposite parties, 
the natural tension is to be at loggerheads. That's expected to some degree. I think what's different here is this is the longest shutdown in history. There doesn't seem to be a way out here, and there doesn't seem to be a deep desire by either side to find a way out. The difference also is that this is a president who, for the most part in 2019, has not delineated any sort of legislative agenda. He keeps saying we want to do infrastructure. This is a Congress that has shown lots of appetite to go after his tax returns, to go after his agencies, to do oversight on his family, on private email use, on you know a whole litany of, of issues. And what we're really looking at here, if you talk to people on either side, is just a war for 2019. I mean, just a war heading into re-election. You have 25, maybe 30 Democrats. Who knows how many Democrats are going to be running? There's not much incentive for either side right now to come together and make a deal. And I think the forces are only going to get more tense, more difficult, more entrenched as the year goes on. Yeah. I just imagine if you are a furloughed government employee at this moment and you're listening to this conversation, it's disheartening to hear about a war where you're among the casualties, in a sense. Sure. And that's not enough of an incentive for our political figures to to Right. I mean, if if you're in D.C., you see... You know, restaurants offering furloughed workers free meals. You see food banks. You see airports and FBI in New York now has a has a food bank. Airports have food banks. I mean, this is not traditional, you know, America. These are pretty remarkable things that are happening. And and these federal workers are right now a casualty of their government not being willing to compromise or, or make a deal. Uh I don't know what to say about that other than um, that doesn't seem to be enough to make the president uh, want to reopen the government. There doesn't seem to be a big appetite to do that. And I, I don't know that that changes. So for now, with the government still partially shut down for an unprecedented amount of time, plans for a State of the Union address, plans for the end of a stalemate between two branches of our government, and plans for reopening that government, well, they don't exist. For additional reporting about the ongoing effects of the partial government shutdown, visit WashingtonPost.com. Thanks for listening to another episode of Can He Do That? As always, if you like this, please write us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts or send me an email, share it on social media, let us know what you liked, what you didn't like, and we'll be back next week. Can He Do That? is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by the recently engaged Carol Alderman with design help from Kat Rudell-Brooks, logo art from Loren Boglio, and theme music by Ted Muldoon. Ah, spring. Nothing like the world progressing towards summer to inspire your own progress. That's what life's all about, in your career, relationships, and your finances. Let's talk about that last one. With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. And if your credit score grows, so could your opportunities for lower rates on loans, like for a car or home. Sounds like progress, right? With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime. 
Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Bill Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA. Members of FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details.